This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. Legacy of Faith, we continue in our series this morning in that. And that's all about things that we have received that we have a responsibility to pass on. God has made us custodians of things. That, that is, we're responsible for things that he has passed on to his, to his church that we continue to operate, that we practice, and that we believe. So we're taking a look over this pretty much a lot more, this best part of this year. We're going to look at some of these things that we believe, why we believe them, and why we're involved in them. And today we're going to look at believers' baptism. And so for many of you, perhaps most of you in the room, you may have already been baptized in water. Perhaps here, perhaps somewhere else, perhaps in wherever that might be, that has been your experience. And so I want to encourage you as we look at this this morning to kind of get a a better understanding and a a kind of a, a new revelation of what actually happened when you were baptized. And if you have not yet been baptized... This is an encouragement, a prompt to you to encourage you to be baptized. But for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have been baptized by full immersion, by totally being baptized, going under the water, coming out of the water. On the 8th of May, here at Life Church, we'll be having a baptismal service. So that's your opportunity if you haven't yet been baptized. The week before, we'll be having a baptismal class on the 1st of May. But that will be your opportunity to say, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus in this way. I'm going to be baptized. But for 2,000 years, that has been the pattern. And baptism gets its meaning and its importance because it, it's a picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's what's really important. When we are baptized, like Jesus died and rose again, it's a picture of what actually happens when we're baptized. We die to our old self and rise again. Uh, Don't worry, I wasn't shot. I'm still here. So it's a picture of that. It's a symbolic in that respect. It's a a principle. It's a picture of that. It's his triumph over death on the cross. So legacy of faith, one part of our legacy is that we baptize believers baptism. And it's, it's a way that Jesus taught us to express our faith in him. It's a picture of his birth, death and resurrection. It's a picture also of our death and resurrection to new life. We've been singing about that already this morning. The songs that we've been singing have talked about that, have, have talked about the expression of coming back to life, the expression of the fact that we, you know, the grace of God and Dan's encouraged us with that as well about our new life through Jesus and so on. So that's what it is a picture of. And baptism by emergence symbolizes that. It's our public declaration that we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I don't believe in being a secret Christian. Now, by, by letting people know you're a Christian, there might be times when you have some persecution. What we face, what we call persecution in this country is nothing compared to what many people face, of course, and many people lose their lives because of their faith. But we have to, it, it's supposed to be a public expression. So if you're a quiet, secret Christian, I don't want you to change your personality. I'm not suggesting you do that, but I am encouraging you to say, well, actually, I am going to 
be that kind of person. I am going to let people know that I belong to Jesus and I believe in Jesus because I believe that's important that we should do that. It's a sign of belonging. It's a symbol of starting a new life. Now, baptism doesn't save us. We are saved by faith, the Bible says. But when by faith we have become a Christian, baptism is something that follows that and is an example of that. So while it's not required for our salvation to be baptized, it's clear that it's a natural thing that follows our salvation and belief. So baptism follows salvation. If you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then why would you be baptized? But when you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's a natural thing to follow on from that. So I want to read to you a few verses from the book of Colossians, and I'll be referring to other parts of the, the Word of God this morning. And uh, thanks, thanks, that. And we'll be looking at that this morning. First of all, we're going to read from Colossians chapter 2 from verse 6. And I'll be up on the screen for you and just kind of get into it and just understand how much we have received from Jesus, how incredible it is what God has done for us. And this is an instruction and an encouragement. Now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. In other words, don't adopt the pervading culture. What people think or believe, if it's not what the Bible says, we don't adopt it. We don't take it on board because we go back to what the Bible says. What people think, what society thinks, shifts, moves around, changes, but the Word of God is consistent. So don't get caught up with that and distracted by that. Verse 9, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Literally, we have everything we need in Jesus. Incredible. 11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. I like that. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. Thank you, Jesus. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Now, that's a picture in the book of Colossians of the supremacy of Christ. It's a picture of everything that was done for us by Jesus. It's an an encouragement and an instruction to us to stop striving, trying to sort things out, trying to work things out for ourselves, but to lean on and lean into Jesus. It tells us that everything that we need is available to us because of Jesus. It tells us that we are 
in Christ. We're part of the family. We have become a disciple, a follower of Jesus, but we're part of the family of God by faith. That's what Colossians is about. So it's not about keeping a list of rules and regulations. It's not about church attendance. It's not about where you were born or who your parents were or your standing or so-called in society, whatever that means. It's not about anything like that. It's all about who you are in Christ, what God has done for you. So we all start there, okay? We are all know that we are equal in Christ. We all know that we can be accepted into his family. It's not a, a greater status for some of us more than for others. No, that's not how God works. There's an equality. There's, a, there's an opportunity for all of us to be fully part of this family that God calls his church. So that's, God has done it all. He has completed it all. It's all been achieved for us. So I'm loving Colossians chapter 2. And as I was studying it this week and, and reading it and rereading it and different translations and, and just waiting on God and, and meditating on it, I, I just got encouraged again by what God has achieved on my behalf and on your behalf. I've not got anything left to do other than put my faith in Him. Keep on trusting in him. Keep on following in him. And the instruction here is that we are to do that, that we keep on following Jesus and as our Lord. So I'm loving that in Colossians chapter 2. And I've just been dining out on Colossians chapter 2 this week. And I want to encourage you to live Colossians 2 this week and love what God says about him, about Jesus and what has been done for us. So a few points about baptism. First of all, baptism is for believers only. It's kind of obvious. It's called the believer's baptism, but it is absolutely critical. It's not enough to say, well, I'll be baptized on the 8th of May because what, I've got nothing to lose. I'll give it a go and, and see what happens when I'm baptized. It's not about that. It's about, first of all, putting our faith in God. It's about being a believer. It's about being a Christian who's a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And it's an expression of that. Baptism doesn't save us. It's something that we do because we are believers. It's an expression of that. Those who put their trust in God. Clearly, if you haven't put your trust in God... Baptism doesn't make any sense at all. But if you have and become a Christian, receive God's forgiveness, understand something of the grace of God, it's a next and essential step. It's for believers. And I love how it uh, so clearly dis describes what happens for us here. We've just read in Colossians 2 verse 12 says, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. It's a, an incredible image. For most of us, we, we, we're not looking forward to being buried. You might be different, but most of us, we're not looking forward to that day. Well, I'm looking forward to the other side of burial when I'm be with Jesus, but the process, if I could opt out of it, I would. So the imagery of burial is a difficult one sometimes for us to kind of get our heads around. But literally when we are baptized into the water, it's like a burial. Then because we're buried, we are promised we will rise again, just like Jesus did. And you were raised to new life because you trusted in the mighty power of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. We're not just going to be raised 
to new life one day after we pass from this life. No, it's already happened. We're already recipients. We've already received the new life of God. We're already living and the injunction and the encouragement is to live in the new life of God. We've received that. We've been buried and we've been raised to life. If you've been baptized, you've left the all behind. It's a symbol of that. And we've raised to new life. It's a beautiful picture. Just get past the sort of morbidness of the term burial, get past that and say, yeah, I'm already living the new life. I've already died to myself. I've already died to the old ways. I've already left behind my mistakes and the shame perhaps and the the challenges and the difficulties. I've left those behind. I'm living a new life for Jesus. And he also uses a curious kind of a metaphor, again, when he talks about uh, circumcision. He says, Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. We understand what, uh, what circumcision is, but what he's talking about here is, then circumcision for male Jews meant that they were, basically, they became part of the family. That was, that was their a rite of passage on, when they were eight days old. But for us, men and women in Christ, this spiritual circumcision is a cutting away of what we had. It's a getting rid of the, 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 the rubbish, rubbish. It's getting rid of the mistakes and the, and, and the regrets and, and the shame. And it's getting rid of that. That's what happens for us in Christ. And Paul's using that as an example. Down into the water, it's all left behind. We move on to something new, something fresh. When we came in faith to Jesus, we were accepted by faith. And now we get to live by faith. Our faith is in Him. Our trust is in Him. Because it says in verse 12 there, at the end of the verse 12, it says, because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. That's what we do when we become a Christian. We place our faith or our trust in God. We're saying, right, God, I'm giving up sorting it out myself. I'm giving up just trusting in myself or in other people, but actually I'm putting my trust in God. And that sets a pattern for the rest of our lives. And, and the, the water baptism is a great illustration of that, an essential part of that. It's a believer's baptism. We put our tr- faith, our trust in. It's like a, a dramatic um, illustration of what actually happens when we become Christian. Baptism is an acting out of faith, so it's only for people of faith, people who believe. It's a believer's baptism. Number two, baptism is a command. Now, this is very, very important because you will meet people say, well, I'm not sure whether baptism's for me. I, I think I'll, I'll pray about it. I'll think about it. Well, the Bible doesn't give you actually give you that option. If you're a believer, it's a command. The Bible clearly says more than once, believe and be baptized. The examples in the New Testament is that that was an essential thing that we ought to do. Jesus himself, clearly his instructed his followers to be baptized, and he also instructed his followers to be baptizers. So we, as Christians, have two responsibilities, every Christian, to be baptized, I believe, first and foremost, and secondly, to be part of a community of faith who baptizes. Because it says there, go and make, in, in, let's look at it in Matthew 28, 19, a familiar scripture. Jesus said, now this is not 
Jeff said. This is what Jesus said. It's very clear that this is what he said. The last words of Jesus to his disciples, the last instruction which he hasn't taken back, it still stands for us today. Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and I'll be with you to the end of the age, it goes on to say. So he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So two responsibilities of a Christian, to be baptized. So don't hang about, make a decision. You've only three weeks to wait. And encourage others to be baptized, to be part of this community of faith that baptizes, we believe, because that is a legacy of faith. Baptism is a command can be called an, an ordinance, something that, that Jesus put in place. He left it for us as followers of his to continue to do that. D- the verb is making disciples is like the main verb. And then having got, it goes on to say, make disciples of all. It's a key phrase is baptizing them and teaching them. Two things together, baptizing and teaching. Very, very clear that is. Number three, baptism shows that we are united with Christ. Now, we've already talked a little bit about this already when I'm encouraging for you from Colossians chapter two. But, you know, it's so important that we understand that we are united with Christ. We're not just followers in a sense that we're kind of fans of Jesus or, or part of a club that, that has Jesus as its head. It's much more than that. We are united with Christ. We're not just looking uh, 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 from a distance thinking that's wonderful. I'd like, you know, I like to be around Jesus. No, we are united with Christ. We've become part of his family. We are united in him. And we're not saying that baptism is our means of being united with Christ because it's clear that it is by faith we are united with Christ, but we show this faith by this act of baptism. Baptism illustrates our union, our literally our uniting with Christ. We see that we are complete in Him, complete through your union with Christ. Just pause and think again about that. We are complete through our union with Christ. What an incredible statement that is. That we, that we don't need anything else. All we need, we already have. You will meet some Christians that kind of search for something extra. When the Bible clearly says, you've got it all you need. You are complete. We are united in Christ. I love that idea. I love that phrase. I love that concept that we are united with Christ. And baptism shows that we are united with Christ. It's again powerfully stated in Romans chapter 6. I just want to read a couple of uh, verses in Romans chapter 6. Again, they'll be on the screen for you. Don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Again, another powerfully, powerful statement of what actually happened. In, by faith, we united with Christ in his, in his death, burial, and resurrection. It's not the baptism alone. It's the fact that we've put our faith 
the baptism, the water baptism, the believer's baptism is an illustration. It shows that what we actually has happened in our hearts. It shows that the decision we've made, it shows that we have decided to be followers of Jesus. Very, very clear. It's a bit like the fact that on my um, left hand, I have a wedding ring. And uh, this month, I've been married to Trish for 10 years. I know. She, she deserves a clap, not me, obviously. But the ring doesn't make me married. You could go and buy a ring and put it on, but it doesn't make you married. But it is an illustration. It's a symbol that you are married. You know, I don't use this term when I conduct uh, wedding ceremonies, but it used to be said, with this ring I thee wed. But it didn't literally mean that the ring makes you married. It's the promises that you make. It's the covenant that you enter into that makes you married. But the ring is a, a symbol. It's an, it's an illustration about what actually happens. So I wear the ring to show that I'm married, that I'm proud that I'm married, that I'm happy to be married. It's an illustration of that. But the ring in itself doesn't make me married. If I lost this ring, I would still be married. If you stole the ring from me and wore it yourself, wouldn't make you married. But it's only a symbol and an illustration of that. Wouldn't make you married to Trisha either. You look worried. <laughs> but it's a symbol. Baptism is an illustration. It's a symbol of that. It doesn't make us a Christian, but we are united with Christ through that. It showed, baptism shows that we are united as a ring does, that we are married. It's m- much deeper than that, even greater than that. But God uses, in the, in the Bible, it talks about uh, the example of, of God and the ch- us and the church as, and marriage as an example and so on. So it's a powerful illustration. Just get all of it, the fact that we are united with Christ. Number four, baptism is only by immersion in water. It talks about being buried under water and then come out of the water to signify our burial and resurrection. We talked about that. The Greek word bapti- baptizo, whatever, probably pronounced it wrong, doesn't matter. But the Greek word used to say baptism actually means immerse, submerge, not sprinkle. You will not find sprinkling in the Bible at all. There's no examples of it in the Bible of baptism other than full immersion. That is baptism. Anything else is something else and has value for the people who have that, of course, but it's not the baptism that Bible that the Bible talks about. It's only about it's only baptism is full immersion. And most scholars agree that this is the way that the early church practiced baptism. It's actually the way that Jesus himself was baptized. So by being baptized in this way, we follow the example of Jesus and we're following the example, that legacy of faith, New Testament, for 2,000 years, we're following that example. We are holding true to that legacy of faith. It's not just something that we do as a church because we've always done it. It's not just a, a tradition. It is a tradition, but it's more than that. It has meaning. It's a legacy 
of faith, and it is by baptism in water. There's little dispute that this was the way the early church baptized. In the New Testament, there's a number of examples. One of the examples is in Acts chapter 8, where it talks about uh, a guy from Ethiopia was going along uh, a road, and and Philip the evangelist uh, met with him and talked with him and talked to him about the things of God. This guy was going through a long way, uh, through a, a hot country. He would have been carrying water. Philip could have sprinkled him. But it's clear that it says that he went down into the water to be baptized, came out of the water. Just another example of baptism by immersion. Number five, baptism is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Very important. In church, you hear a term, a word, the Trinity. And some people tell you that the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. Then you normally Jehovah's Witnesses, and they are right. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but it describes Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. God in three, in that respect, three expressions of God called the Trinity. Hard to understand, difficult to get our heads around it, but it is important that we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We do not just baptize in the name of Jesus because that would be denying the truth of what it says, and it wasn't the way that Jesus told us to baptize. Back to Matthew 28, 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a very powerful thing when we say those words. We call on the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We depend on the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We honor the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit when we baptized. And we say this is because of them. It's because what they have done for us, and it's to honor them when we do it. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we baptize in the name. And finally, baptism sets a pattern for discipleship. And I want us to kind of pause and think about this uh, for a moment, because for many of us, it could be many years since we were baptized. But probably for most of us, it's still a vivid memory of what happened when we were baptized. We can remember the situation the moment, perhaps how we felt at that time, but how we felt uh, not just it was a great experience, but we really felt that we were being obedient to God, that we were following Jesus in that way. And it's important for us to kind of go back to that in the sense of thinking, actually, that set a pattern for me of obedience. That set a pattern of me deciding that I was going to be a follower. When I did that, I did that because I wanted to say, Jesus, I'm going to live for you all the rest of my life. What can sometimes happen is we start well, but we don't finish well, or maybe in the middle we're not, not doing so well. But I want to encourage you this morning to get back to that decision and say, actually, this is how it was for me. I know it was an important decision. I knew when I did that, I did it because I want to be a follower of Jesus. And for the rest of my life, I'm going to live for him. And that's what this scripture in Colossians is doing. It's encouraging us to be fully committed to Jesus. It's encouraging us to keep on following. Discipleship is a commitment to God. It's being a follower. It's not... 
you know, the best way to follow somebody is to be as close to them as you possibly can. You learn more from people when you're close to them, when you are a distant acquaintance. If you're following somebody in your car or down or whatever down the road, uh, not in a weird way. I mean, you know, because you don't know where you're going and you're following them. You want to keep as close to them as you possibly can. You do. Because if you don't, there's a danger that you lose them. There's a danger that you become disconnected. So as Christians, we have to learn this lesson to say, well, actually, I'm going to follow Jesus as closely as I can. I'm not going to be a distant secret follower. I'm not going to be an acquaintance. I'm going to be a friend. I'm going to be intimately connected to God. I'm going to be as close to him as I possibly can. I'm going to keep on following. Baptism sets that pattern. Colossians 2 that we read earlier, it says, just as you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you must continue to follow. Clear. It's a decision. I'm going to be a follower every day. I'm not perfect any more than you're not perfect. We make mistakes. The things we look back and think, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I think that? Absolutely. But most of the time, I'm going to, I'm a follower. I'm all the time, I'm a follower, and I'm going to be as close as I can. Even when I stumble, even when I mess up, I'm going to be a follower. I'm going to get back on track. And I want to encourage you this morning to get back on track. Verse 7, let your roots grow down into him. Get that. We're not acquaintances. We're committed to this thing. We are fully devoted Christians. We're growing. Our roots are down here. This is, we're planted in him. We are in Christ, not just followers, not just acquaintances. No, we are in Christ. We're part of this family that God calls the church. Let your lives be built on him. Clear again. You know, we can build our lives on all sorts of things. Our strength when we're young, maybe on our intellect, maybe on our finances, maybe on our family connections or whatever. We can build on those things. But the Bible says, no, let your lives be built on Him. It's so fundamentally important because everything else in life comes and goes. You know, we have great times. We have disappointing times. We have times when we've got a fiver in our pocket. We've got times when we've got 2p in our pocket. That's how it works. That can be like you. You might be, might have never experienced that. But for most of us, that's how it is. And that's okay because my life is built on Jesus. It's not dependent on things or stuff where I live or what I drive. It's not dependent on that. No, I'm built on Jesus. And when life goes pear-shaped, things fall apart, it's okay because I'm building on Jesus. When my health goes, I'm building on Jesus. When I lose a member of my family that I dearly love, it's tragic, it's desperate, but I'm going to be okay because I'm building on Jesus. And that's the truth. We're built on Him. And if you build on anything else, it's dodgy foundations because it will shake. But built on Him, it's something that, that can grow. It says, grow strong in the truth you were taught. Again, fast back to when you were baptized. Think about what brought you to that point. Say, Jesus, I've, I've just fully understand that you love me. I've got loads of questions, but it's dawned on me. The pennies dropped. I have received revelation of who you are. I get it. I understand. That's amazing. You know, and because of that, Jesus, I owe you everything, so I'm going to give you my life. If you've got away from that position, get back. 
Get back, grow strong in the truth you were taught. Get back to that point. This is my encouragement to you. You know, you've been baptized, but keep on living for Jesus. Keep on standing on him. Keep on growing into him. Keep on following him. Keep on being strong in the truth you were taught. And it says, then you will overflow with thankfulness. I've been looking in the mirror thinking, does my life overflow with thankfulness? And I encourage you to do the same. We've all got our challenges, but does my life overflow with thankfulness? What does overflowing with thankfulness actually look like? It's a question. I can't answer it for you, but I think, come on, if we belong to Jesus, if we are in Christ, if we are followers of him, what does that look like? It should be overflowing with thankfulness. God, I thank you for what you've done for me. God, I thank you that I'm a, I, I, I've been saved. God, I thank you that I'm in your family. God, I thank you that I have a hope and a future. God, I thank you that no matter what happens to me, you know, whether I go through hell or high water, whether the, even the kitchen sink is thrown at me, whatever that looks like, thank you, thank you, thank you. I belong to you. I've got a future in you. My life overflowing with thankfulness. And there's practical ways that we can all do it. Just in the simple things of life, we can be thankful. We can be grateful. We can be appreciative to God and appreciate to God's people as well. We can do it. And you know, it talks, that that whole verse in verse 8 about uh, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. I love the way the NLT version puts it like that. No, we're not going to believe nonsense. I I meet people and, you know, when you start to talk about the things of God, it's always interesting when people begin to tell you what they believe. And I think that's interesting. I have no idea where you've got that from. And I think you're building on sand. I'm not being disrespectful to their beliefs, but you're just thinking, Lord, can you give them some revelation so they can have something of substance that we can build our lives on, and that is Jesus. Let me read to you a couple of verses in Colossians 2, 6 from the Message Bible, which just, again, expands on that encouragement for us to keep living for Jesus, for on us to be, to be disciples of him. My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You receive Christ Jesus the Master, now live in him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Just leave that scripture on for a moment, Dan. Just think about that. How incredible is that? You know, school's out. Stop just learning, start living. It's frustrating when you meet a Christian who seems to know a lot about the Bible in theory, but not in practice. It's not an either or, right? Let's learn loads about the Bible in theory, but let's be practitioners. Let's, let's, it, let's it spill out. Let, you know, studying the subject, stop studying, or I would probably say keep studying, and start living, and let your living spill over into thanksgiving. How thankful does my life look like? Do I look like a, or behave like a miserable so-and-so? I'm just picking on myself, not you, right? So no one's offended. There's only me who can take offense, right? So I'm 
God, help me not to be a miserable so-and-so. Help me not to be so consumed with my challenges that I'm not thankful. Let's be thankful. Let's our living spill over into thankfulness, thanksgiving, into thankfulness. Baptism sets a pattern of growth in obedience to the leadership and lordship of God in our lives. I want to take you back to that and say, God, are you Lord? Am I following you or am I following someone else? Some musicians are going to join us right now, if you would, guys. I believe baptism is part of our legacy of faith. It's vitally important. It was uncompromisingly commanded by Jesus. He made it absolutely clear that we ought to be baptized and we should be part of a family of faith. It's universally administered to Christians in the New Testament church. And it's absolutely clear. It's an example to follow. It's an act of obedience and identification. It's a great start. When a man called Paul in the New Testament had an incredible encounter with God. He was, he was on his way to persecute some more Christians. He was absolutely convinced. He was passionate that these Christians needed to be eliminating, eliminated. But he had an encounter with God on the road to a place called Damascus in Syria. He was on the way there. He had this encounter with God that blinded him. He lost his sight. And then he goes to a, a place. He was, he was staying with somebody and a guy called Ananias came to speak with him. And uh, he, he told him what had happened and he told that he'd been fighting against God. And Paul, Paul had his moment of revelation and he realized that the one he was persecuting was the one that he was now going to live for and serve. And Ananias said this to him in Acts 22, 16. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on the name of Jesus. And that scripture stuck, struck me again. What are you waiting for? Be baptized. So here's the a, a invitation, first and foremost. If you're a believer, if you love Jesus, if you're a person of faith, you put your trust in God but have not yet been baptized. What are you waiting for? It's an incredible experience and a vitally important part of being a follower of Jesus. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.